Hey, Peter. Hey, Adam. You know what today is? Oh, I know what today is. Do you know what today it's is? It's a very special day. I know. Do you know? Yeah, and actually, I know that you know, too, because we were both just there together. But the folks don't know yet, so roll it. I know. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. And you're listening to the You'll Hear podcast, Peter. And you're listening to the You'll Hear podcast, oh, Peter Martin. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was, no, m- m- a music advice coming at you. I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> I was up in the clouds still. What are you doing up in the clouds, I was up man? on cloud nine with my new friend. Oh, that's right. Yes, my, new, my new BFF. Do you want to tell the people who, who our new friend is here on the podcast? Well, it's probably listed on the title and plastered all over this, but <laughs> we just had the pleasure and the honor of a conversation an erstwhile interview, if you will, <laughs> with none other than the fantab- fantabulous Mr. Ron Carter. The great Ron Carter. The great Perhaps Ron the greatest. Ron you know what? Carter. We talk about lionizing and using the word great too much in jazz. No, we just we just use it too often. This is a time when it is applicable. It totally is. Due yeah. to notes played and work done. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really incredible. I'll set up here how this happened because it's really it's kind of interesting. So uh, we did a podcast episode a few weeks back. Where award-winning uh, podcast? No one gives us awards, Peter. But uh, <laughs> self self-awarded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so it was called Seven Iconic Baselines and Why You Should Know Them. It was really a podcast. Uh, these are by far the you know seven of the most classic iconic yeah. baselines you could think of. Two of them of those like of seven were uh, played by Ron Carter. Totally coincidental. This was not a Ron Carter episode. Well, not well today is, but that was not coincidental. It's well, there's two because he's that good and he's well, part and he's, of these he, iconic recordings. Exactly. And he's been at the forefront and just integral to so many different parts of the jazz uh world and and recorded legacy that it would make sense. But it was like if we had been doing this politically correct, it would have been like one one per basis, yeah, no, but that's did, not what happened. No, no, no. And so, you know, we don't really think much about this stuff when we do it. We're oh, not. We are we, deep thinkers. No, but Come we're on. not really thinking. <laughs> Many people are paying attention, but lo and behold, the very next day, we get a message from Ron Carter himself <laughs> saying that he wants to talk to us about the episode and about the baselines. And so we had a, a really nice um, Zoom call yeah. with Mr. Carter. Really long too. He's so generous with his time. Like yeah. you're talking about. Baselines, and we eventually got to his thoughts on bass transcription. Yes, and he pointed us to this book that he just released called Chartography, which are is his take on bass transcriptions. He had some look at the size of this. I thing, know, first man. of all, it's beautiful. Actually, like well, you're coming strong when you're coming with 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 like score size here. There better be some good information. It's in so there. Good. And there is. So yeah, so so we talk about his book. His book is five uh, transcriptions of him playing Autumn Leaves from 1963 to 1967 with the Miles Davis Quintet. Ever heard of them? Yeah, and it's <laughs> they're beautifully transcribed, and it's not just the transcriptions. We go into what's so cool about this book. Really, everybody should get this. It's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's fascinating to hear him talk about it. We'll have a link here for the book Chartography you can get in the description. We also talk to uh, him about uh, playing the electric. We talk about his YouTube channel, about being in that rhythm section. Playing with, uh, re- recording with Roberta Flack and her piano playing, about Shirley Horn. Oh. Music education and all yeah. this great stuff. It's really, really fun and an honor to talk to the great Ron Carter. Absolutely. So now we present you, dear listeners, with an interview. No. A conversation with Adam, Peter, and Sir Ron Carter. 
Mr. Carter, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, so we set this up already. We'll have we'll have set this up with a nice pre-recorded intro, uh, but it was uh, pretty amazing for us to hear from you after we did this episode on baselines. You represented two of the seven iconic baselines that we were talking about, and uh, then to to have a discussion with you a couple of days later about how you came about them, and then uh, that kind of morphed into what we'd like to talk about today, which is how you think about and teach bass transcription, which is, I've never heard anybody talk about it in the way that you have it presented here in uh, in your book, Chartography. And so I wonder if we could just kind of get into that. You have this amazing sure. book of five different uh, versions of live recordings of you playing Autumn Leaves. And it's I've never seen anything quite like it the way that you've transcribed them and then broken them down with the context. Can you can you describe how this book came about? Well, you know, I've never been a, a fan of uh, transcriptions uh, on any instrument. I, I thought that there was kind of a limited point of view of that artist's ability to do whatever the transcriber thought was really hip, you know. Mm. Um, secondly, I thought that while I'm some of the people, one of the person who has been transcribed bass lines for kids to learn, I felt that the, the transcriber didn't understand the significance of that bass line they transcribed. And because they weren't there at the time of that bass line's actual performance, they couldn't tell the kid, the bass player, male or female, what that line was all about other than this one transcribed chorus. Mm. My general view of that kind of transcription has limited value for the following reasons. We don't know whether that was a complete line. We don't know whether it was edited. We don't know whether it was the third track of uh, a long five recording, five date days. We don't know, uh, uh, was it the best course of the night? We don't know what led up to these note choices. We don't know whether the bass, the bass player in this case was able to use this information that was transcribed anywhere else in his life, <laughs> or the next <laughs> night, or the <laughs> next gig. Uh, we don't know whether he would even remember what those choices were to be able to find a value. And I've kind of thought that bass teachers who use transcriptions as a guide for bass players to learn how to play a bass line, take the risk of that bass line being in the wrong key, and the bass player who learns it never plays in D-flat for that whole week, because this line he learned is in D-flat. Mm. Having said that, they don't know what the drummer responded when they heard this bass line. What's the piano player comping? Did it make the trumpet player raise his eyebrows because he didn't want to know where these notes are coming from? All those factors. <laughs> so I said, I said, look, I said, enough of this. Come, let me just find a way to help these people who think transcriptions are the cat's meow. <laughs> uh, I want to show them the cat. <laughs> so I said, my, my friend David David Barron and Boots Mouse sat down and figure out this process so we transcribed. The idea uh, guys was to show Peter and, and Adam was to show a bass line's development over a whole, over a song over five different performances. So they could see my choice for the first performance of Autumn Leaves and how it's evolved for the next four performances with the same band or the same song. And I thought that with this kind of environment, the same band, the same musicians, the same handicaps, different bass, different drums, different piano every night, hmm. walking in with no sound check or a sound check. These circumstances would be ideal to use this platform 
as an example so the base teachers and base players can see how a line I played in April, for example, of 1963, whatever it was, could last as I, as I evolved, how my lines played, how I remembered certain things of this initial performance, I'd fi- how I'd found more uses for these devices spread out over a period of time and how I developed these things and how the band responded to my developing these ideas. Herbie Hancock piano, Tony Williams drums, and, and of course Miles. And it was nice to see them waiting for me to make a decision. Mm. I think it's so interesting that you're you're you've documented and making the connection between uh, playing over the same tune over several different gigs as opposed to I think the way most bass players and really just jazz musicians in general would look at a transcription where it's all about that solo or that chorus or that tune. So was that something that you kind of wanted to correct or did that kind of evolve out of your concept on how you could present something like this? Well, my concept was uh, it, me, Herbie, and Tony got to a certain place in our musical group career by being able to develop ideas from night to night. Mm. Uh, we had a very limited library. We used the same Miles 50, Miles first quintet library, basically. And the recordings we made, we seldom played those records those tunes on the gigs. <laughs> what we what we were forced to do as long as we stayed together was to take this material that we've had all blues, uh, all the uh, uh, song by Starlight, mm-hmm. uh, so what? Take this material and use do new things with them, not just to make the song stay fresh, but what else can this song offer us to do that maintains this envelope that we are in? Mm. Envelope being a thirty two bar thirty two bar song form or. Uh, 1616 or uh, Gingerbread Boy, whatever song form we were dealing with, that's our envelope. Can we make this envelope have so many good things inside that all we have to do is change the manuscript paper, not the envelope itself? Mm. So uh, having felt this way with these four guys, three guys who were as curious about harmony and rhythm as I was, and that we understood that we were looking for something valuable to do and not knowing what until we got to the the side of the water and took this little tray and started shifting the sand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get these things in there called nuggets or new chord progression. She would show up and say, hey, man, we've got something here. Yeah, but tomorrow night's another night. Let's try it tomorrow. No, no, right now. Here we go. Mm. And, and so my, my, my initiative to do this was to show transcribers that the one course is not enough information for anyone to get better once you understand how to play this note. The other thing, guys, is that Bass lines require some skill level. And I think one of my concerns, and I'm maybe stepping on some feet gently, hmm. uh, I'm not sure bass line, bass, jazz bass teachers show the skill how important, show the kids how important skill level is. They will say transpose this line through the keys. Well, I'm not sure a lot of guys have the skill level, including yours truly, to take a line I play in the key of F and play it in B flat, then E flat, then A flat, then D. I mean, really. You think that's the solution? No, man. The solution is how do you build that line? What's the format? What what process? What's the basement, literally, that makes this line work? Hmm. So the results of those thoughts culminated in this process here, the book that you uh, have on your desk of how I decided to make transcriptions really do what I thought the student who reads it and the teacher who teaches it would get the maximum idea of how I and the rhythm section, piano and drums, and in this place, trumpet player, allowed themselves to go on my carpet 
night in and night out with the same changes we started out with and say, what's he got next? I say, well, tonight's a different theory class. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. And not only do you get to see you playing uh, the same tune with the same band, over the course of, I think it's four years that these five performances take take place over, but there's, uh, and we'll have a link, by the way, to Chartography here that you can pick one up for yourself, and I, re I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's really an amazing piece of work here, but one of the coolest parts about it is you have all of these... You have all of these symbols that run through every transcription that kind of tie <laughs> where you can see where like how you are evolving through the band. Uh, yes, the, these like recurring materials of three over four rhythmic ideas where they're pointed out in each transcription, alternate harmony. And you can and you can literally see how you're you're messing with the harmony as the years pass. It's really very cool. It's almost like an anthropological it is. examination over the, over the time of how this evolved. Too, too, many, too many letters. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, like you were saying about, um, you know, pianist and, and drummer and, and, you know, in this case, you know, Herbie and, and, and Tony and, and Miles, how they responded off of, as you say, the carpet that you were laying. Um, for I think for bass players digging into this, it may be a little bit more obvious like what you can get out of these transcriptions because just learning them, playing them, listening to them in context. And this is so cool how you have the QR code to be able to, which kind of pushes you right from the page directly to the context of the, in, in some, several cases, video performances, which is super exciting. Yeah, Peter got jealous when he saw that QR code. I was like, what? I was like, that's, I, was, I always hated QR codes because they usually lead to some stupid coupon, but this is a hip I QR know. code. He was like, why didn't we think of that? Yeah. <laughs> But I was just wondering, like, what do you recommend, say, for a pianist um, to be able to, you know, learn from this and to be able to understand how to interact with bass players, how to take a creative bass player's ideas and, and lay something on top of that? How would they approach this? I think the first thing I have to do is know what Autumn Lee sounds like without our alterations. Mm. That's why the first page of the, whether you find, where you find the uh, chart, the, the key, on the second page of the piece, there's a, a, a lead sheet of the original Autumn Leaves mm -hmm. changes. Right. They have to understand where we started. And until they can understand what the changes to Autumn Leaves are, it's hard to find out how we ended up right, uh, how we ended up there after playing the Autumn Leaves as bare as the lead sheet leads you to think it is. The second thing they need to do is have, have some understanding of that my notes, the bass player in this case, my notes are not always going to be the roots. Mm -hmm. And don't think that because I don't play the root on the downbeat, I don't know where I am. I personally right now, just me. Mm -hmm. So they have to understand that my downbeat will tell you where the tune is based on two measures before that. They'll lead me to play the downbeat that's the correct following note that may not be the root of the chord, but as I'm resolving this bass line, mm -hmm. that non-root downbeat is the perfect note. And Herbie, Tony, and Miles understood that. Mm. I tell, mm. I used to tell those guys, if you want some roots, man, there's a farmer's market about four <laughs> blocks away. You got all the roots you want. Or you go AAA, man. You got a lot of roots there, too. So I'd love to hear, like, how much were you guys actually actively talking about these types of things at that time? Was Were these kinds of discussions? No. Yeah, okay, that's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, you know, we didn't know what to discuss. We, we, we were just, we were in, 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 in the moments, plural. Mm -hmm. You know, then they may talk about a rhythm they played that was kind of the nice, but after the gig, we kind of gone our own ways. We seldom, you know, hung out after the gig. We lived in different, in New York, 
we lived. We got our own apartments and families and stuff like that. On the road, we have our own friends, relatives. So there was really not the kind of hangout band people would imagine this group who plays like this would have to have mm. to play like this. Mm. You know, uh, we had common interest, of course. You know, one of the things I enjoyed doing was working with somebody else and bringing that stuff that I learned with Michelle Legrand or, or Bobby Timmons or whoever's around. What I learned to those guys to playing it to the Miles Davis band and see well, how much of that worked outside of the environment where I first heard it. Mm. You know, we all, Tony was involved with Riff B at the, the uh, studio, avant garde studio downtown. Herbie was doing uh, his record for Blue Note. So we all came to a, a different space every time the band worked because we had other side, other experiences. And I think we look forward to, to seeing what kind of stool we learn at this other gig will fit into this Miles Davis quartet, <laughs> quartet <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, we never, we never, one of the reasons, if you listen carefully, sometimes the band doesn't always hit the gun. We never knew when the downbeat was. Mm. We'd come off the airport right to the bandstand sometimes. And Miles would go through, and we knew where it was, but I picked up the bass, or the bass on it was it's too short. I'm trying oh, to get the yeah. end pin on plenty of time. Da 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 da, bass comes in now. That's just <laughs> stuff. We were, we were scrambling for our lives, oh, you know? Wow. Mm. And, and, and uh, Tony is still fixing the drum to, to, to the right height, and the sad drum was, was, was on the wrong side. And, and <laughs> mm. we're actually setting up during the course of the first chorus of Autumn Leaves. So some of those performances, when we're not all playing, it's not that we weren't all there. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to find the stuff to play on, literally, mm. you know? Uh, the microphone's in the wrong way, you know. The, the, it's just stuff. But I think that that set up excitement to see if we're going to get ready to play was all a part of the excitement of playing this music, mm. you know. And I, and I think we didn't know what to expect until the first chorus went down. Ooh. And that, but I, I said, by the time they felt how I, by the time they realized how I felt about it, that was kind of a measuring stick for that concert. You know, my hands felt great. The bass was the right height, it was right, it, was, it wasn't too short, you know, okay, I can do this on this bass tonight, so tonight you guys are going to hear this because it allows this kind of notes from me. Mm. Uh, and, and because we were thinking so quickly and so, so, so in the moment kind of conversation, I'm not sure how much we could talk about because we didn't know what had happened until the record came out, the plug nickel, really, mm. you know, uh, my my funny Valentine from uh, the, the uh, from uh, Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. you know, four and more. I think personally, I wasn't aware of what we were, how we had advanced. And I use that word carefully. Music, because I never heard the records we had played. I didn't sit down and say, "Man, we did this." You know, I didn't do that, man, until twenty five years later. I said, "Wow, we did this. What's wrong with those guys?" Mm. <laughs> Trust this guy with the beat and he's playing the third on the downbeat of the two and five by the flat five and the flat <laughs> nine the third and the, what? What's and everybody said, yeah, man, yeah, man, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> really, really, in retrospect, I'm sure I'm, I'm laughing out loud, but boy, I, 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 I was just so stunned to hear that we had done that stuff, man, you know, and, and there was all without any kind of conversation. There was no, there was no manuscript paper, no one was taking notes, no one was transcribing what we just played. Mm. It was just an amazing event that we were throwing in together and, and loving this mystery every night. Mm. Well, I think as fans, we all appreciate that, you know, that brilliance, that exploratory brilliance that you brought to that band specifically uh, during that time. It seemed magical. I was just, I wanted to ask one question before we moved on about the, the change now. 
You're not saying that when you joined the band, Miles handed you <laughs> the autumn leaves changes and were like, here you go now, create something great over that. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen, right? No, he, he said autumn leaves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He, he may not have said that. He may have played the first four bars and recognized the tune, you know? Wow, yeah. We never had, maybe if we had enough five and a half years, maybe uh, two things that might go under the description of rehearsal, mm. you know? The first one, when we first joined the band, went to Miles' Davis' basement where the studio set up and me and Herbie and Tony played and Miles went upstairs to do something else. We kind of on our own in the basement, you know? And then the, the next rehearsal may have been when he went to the George Benson Electric kind of records concept, you know? But we never rehearsed the music. We never mm. sat down and figured out what had taken place. Mm. We never said, well, you remember that third chord you did again? Yeah, man. Well, don't do it again. We never had those kind of conversations. It was just, uh, wow, where were we? What kind of what kind of tie we wearing tonight? You know, how's yeah. the feeling here? What's the tempo here? We never knew those things until the downbeat, man. Mm. You know. Do you, do you think that that not having those conversations? Do you think it gave the music some sense of of adventure? Some uh, yes, you know, it gave it that right. Yeah, it, it trusted. We trusted ourselves to remember important events on our own, and the results we hope to make happen the next night. Mm. Yeah, I'm a, I was aware of not playing the downbeats with the on that chord on that. Autumn leaves. I was I was I was aware of not playing the C on the downbeat for autumn leaves. I was aware of playing E flat for the first note. Can I make my line for bars? The last two bars of the tune make that E flat the normal note there. And the more I understood that and I was able to make that logically work, the band understood. Well, he's playing these notes, notes, so the note must be right. It must be the top of the tune E flat. Yeah, guys. Hmm. I don't know where you are, man, but this is the, <laughs> this is the platoon for me. And it's the second bar, you know? Yeah. And they understood yeah. where I was. And, and I think maybe I was wrong maybe once out of five years. You know? <laughs> I didn't see no any else. of these. In, uh, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. That must not have made it into the book. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you where it is. <laughs> now, do no, you... one's fired me. Yeah, no one's fired me, so I figured I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I can tell you for, for somebody that, that that feels like so intimately connected to these records i can tell you my funny valentine you know certainly live at berlin um plug nickel mm -hmm. um the one we were talking about live in europe which is at the antique jazz festival on the beach there in france like there was because i was at such a formative yet ignorant age when i was listening to those records <laughs> you know but i connected so much and hearing you now like with that excitement like that came through the recordings forget about it. i didn't have video or youtube or anything i just had the lp of you guys playing and listening to it over and over again because i didn't have a lot of records but i can tell you like that the my funny valentine recording like knowing you know hearing you breathe before you come in for a certain note and waiting and all those kind of things that edge comes through totally i didn't realize it at the time but hearing you describe it now that excitement and i'm just wondering because sometimes this is revisionist history but a lot of folks have kind of applied a level of genius to miles davis that he somehow magically set you guys up to be off kilter and maybe putting you in the basement or whatever you know you hear all these stories and then after somebody passes away of course they really become legendary but would you attribute like was did he plan out a situation for things to not be kind of settled and to trust you guys to come up with something or is that just incidental i, I think I, I never i think my story on part of that is uh people ask me that miles talk to me about plan you know and i say well one night we were doing a concert somewhere and the song was Autumn Leaves, you know? And, and 
I'm playing what I think I hear is going to work. And Miles plays the first solo, of course. And after his solo, he then walks backstage and listens to the band, you know. Mm. Well, this particular night, uh, the last chord of the, G, of the tune is a G minor going back to the top. We agree with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I built my line, so I'm playing that B natural for the G minor, G chord, making a G minor. And mm. the next chord is a, a B flat, which is a seventh of C minor with the seven in the bass. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm going to the second bar and somebody tugs on my coat. Now, Miles is about 5'11", five, five, I'm 6'4", and this guy's coming <laughs> in my jacket, <laughs> literally, li- literally pulling my coat. And I'm trying to keep playing and I'm trying to bend down and he's saying, what's that note? I'm saying that's a B natural. It's a G7 with B in the bass, the seventh, going to, going to the B flat, the C minor. I can't talk to you anymore, so don't talk while I'm trying to play. <laughs> and I couldn't talk to him. I mean, all this stuff go fast, and he wants me to give him a theory lesson verbally. I'm lucky to fall over, bending down to talk to him, you know? <laughs> so having, having given that example, he never told us anything about how to play the music. Mm-hmm. He would present the song, and we were kind of on our own. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think anymore. We didn't think it was unusual. I mean, we had been with band leaders who gave you advice and gave you the downbeat and you kind of, on your unless you got a specific part that they lay out for you, you know, even though at rehearsals, when they rehearsals with bands, they all had a, had a lead sheet or a concept they would talk to you before, you know, well, this band, we, the concept was me, Herbie, Wayne, and Tony. Mm. George. Mm-hmm. Miles was the band, he would say, two, three, four, da 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 we off to the races. Mm. Mm. Awesome. And we, and we, and we won every race. <laughs> we <laughs> That's won right. every race. <laughs> so we, we, as we were setting up here, we were listening to uh, some Gil Scott Heron, some, some Freddie Hubbard, and I wanted to ask you about the electric. I think I know what the answer would be, but what is it that, is there anything that changes? You're, you're as accomplished on the electric bass as you are on the acoustic. What changes in your mind when you switch that instrument, if anything? The sound mm-hmm. it doesn't have the force of an upright note. You know, you know I, I t- <laughs> what, that's the kind of a question I'm asked off, often, and, and I don't hate to beat this answer, but when I finished playing with a guy, I want him to feel the tire marks on his back. <laughs> <laughs> and with upright, I can really do that. Mm-hmm. Upright, I miss that, that impactfulness of what I think the jazz bass line needs to have. Mm. And this, Bob Kenshaw played it great. Mont Montgomery, there are guys who really played electric bass upright, electric bass lines. I just missed the power mm. of being able to have a guy walk up the band and, <laughs> and see those tire tracks of a B-flat 7 up his back. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about like... like that's, that's not the answer I was expecting, by the way. It's way better. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm just thinking now like trying times with Roberta Flack. If that had been on electric... I mean, I'm not saying that you left anything on her back or anything to tire track, but I'm saying it would have been very different, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, 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 compared to what? That's strictly an upright kind of sound. Mm-hmm. You know? I play with shrugging horns. That that requires mm-hmm. a certain kind of sound to that kind of voice, that kind of voice harmony for me. Right. You know, her electric bass player, Charles, I mean, he was a wonderful player. Yeah. And I loved hearing him play. Yep. I just thought that upright sound for what I'm looking for to play with groups who, who trust my judgment, my note choices, and, and my presence, that what I can leave with them on upright bass is something that I can stand back by and say, I did the best I could, and that there you have it. Mm. Were there ever situations where you were uh, 
really hearing it on acoustic and the band leader or recording where it's like, nah, this is going to be electric? Or was that generally left into your hands? Left into my hands. Mm -hmm. They trusted my judgment. And and, uh, those people who called me for their projects with the understanding that I could be of some some kind of input, they kind of trusted my judgment not walking with the upright, you know? Because uh, I would bring my sound to the record day, to the studio. And I had talked to enough engineers who knew how best to get my sound from the bass on the disc mm-hmm. with a consistency that I was happy with. Uh, it was difficult for the guys who thought maybe electric is a better instrument they would change their view because of the presence of the upright sound. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of bass players geek out and talk about, you know, different recordings, different lines that you've done in, in all the different genres and electric, acoustic. But I would just recommend any bass players that are listening, one lens to look at this is the Autumn Leaves live versions um, with, of course, Miles Davis Quintet. Uh, and then that Roberta Flack trying times because I think it's such a, a a great kind of antidote. I mean, they're both just Ron Carter, undeniably. You can hear that, but but this it's uh, to me. And please correct me if I'm wrong because I wasn't at either one, nor was I playing. I'm like a fan. I'm like the fan in the audience saying, "Look, that's what's happened. If I was there, that's what I would have done." But I mean, I think that it's like, you know, beyond laying the bass, but just this very complimentary duet that you did with Roberta Flack with that line. I think that that really needs to be up there as one of the iconic Ron Carter bass lines. Hmm. Well, you know. Uh, she was such a, a fantastic piano player. Mm, absolutely. And I, I mean, she, she knew what sounds she needed, and she knew what chord voicings would best fit her range mm. and the lyric. Mm. Yes, yes. And, and my job was find a space between her clear talents to add one note to be the glue of tying all that stuff together, the good keyboard voicing and mm. her lyrics. Mm. And she trusted my placement of my notes that she would be amazed that I found the right space to make her lyric do something that the wrong note in the wrong time would not allow. Mm. You know? And, and, and my job, guys, is to make, to play uh, what I think the band leader wants to need to make him or her comfortable not with me being there, but with my note choices mm. and with the sound I bring to their voice in her case. Mm. She has a great voice, man. Oh, incredible. And she gets a wonderful sound that Blossom Deary to get the, the, a completely different voice, but her voice, her piano skills yeah. are just, Carmen McRae, man, her piano skills yes. mm-hmm. allow a bass player to be a bass player for an ensemble, not necessarily for a singer. Mm. Right, you know, they right. have their own needs. They got lyrics. They got dynamics. They yep. got pitch. Yep. Shirley Horn, piano yeah. playing. She's great. Man. Uh, I love playing with her, man. You know. Yeah. She, she had arrangements. Yeah. She had a concept. Mm-hmm. And she knew how long to to make the tune last. Mm. Despite rumors to the contrary, she had great time. Oh, I. <laughs> wait, oh, absolutely. <laughs> One day today. And the end is coming tomorrow. Here's the second beat on Wednesday. And here's the third beat on Friday. Yeah, she knew it was in the right place, man. Yeah. All I had to do was hang on to that guy that I guess right. Oh, here yeah. comes two, whether you like it or not. That's right. <laughs> 
Mr. Carter, I wonder if you could talk, this is going out on our YouTube channel. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit and tell the people about your YouTube channel. You're doing some really interesting things over there. You've been doing these interviews uh, with folks like Pat Metheny and Herbie Hancock, where you're asking them questions. Yeah. You know, I, I have, I've been curious about people who are really, I said, really my dear friends who will answer a question that I asked them because of our friendships, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I posed uh, uh, f- four questions. To Pat and, and, and uh, uh, Herbie, about two, two out of five. The first thing I asked them, man, is what is the first thing you do when you can go back to your gig? Mm-hmm. You've been off for, in my case, almost 15 months. I know what I want to do, but what about you? You're active. You got a a, 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 a long lived long lived lived career. You're a fantastic player. You got family. You haven't been playing under in, in almost 15 weeks, sucker. What are you going to do when you get back to work? <laughs> right. You know. And they told me. You know. <laughs> I love how Herbie kind of started. Like I think he he thought you meant like, what are you going to do on that day? He's like, well, I'm going to chant first. I think you were asking about <laughs> like on the gig, actually, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when, when we get a downbeat, we we expect to hear, mm. you know. And when you don't hear, what's going to be your response? So you, you can get mad at you for missing, the, for giving the wrong tempo or not <laughs> the right choice. That stuff that we that band leaders are responsible for, you know. Uh, I asked them uh, when people who who know you ask you, uh, uh, "What's it like not playing gigs that long?" And man, Pat gave me an answer that was worth about four days of questions, you know? Mm. But I, I want to know, man. People ask me, hey, Ron, you've been up for 15 months. Where's your head? Mm. I said, well, I haven't had a haircut, but I got a brand new hat. I mean, really, where's my head? <laughs> <laughs> it's right here, man. <laughs> I'm doing these projects to kind of keep my head in the game. I have 10 students, so I'm active. What are you doing? Mm. You know? and, the, and the third question is, when you meet friends, now that you haven't played music for 15 months, uh, do you have discussed music with them? Because they want to know now. Now you're home all the time. You know, you know you're in the, in the you go in the same supermarket every other week to buy you know whatever. You're not walking with a suitcase. You're not going to the airport. Mm. Uh, do they stop and say, "Hey, Herbie, what's that record you made?" Or Pat, you still making a record with the album and guitar? What? What, what, what do they? Would you? Would they ask you? Would you tell them? They want to ask because now you're available. You are visually right here. Mm. You're not running into the airport in theory. You're not running into the studio in theory. You're standing here in line at the post office. And they want to cut. They want an answer, man. And the last question I asked all four of those people was that uh, uh, been away from the bandstand for so long. If you have to get back, other than playing what you play, what instrument would you want to play? Mm. And they all had a series of questions of answers that no one would ask them because then no one, I guess. People we know, they don't think of Herbie other than being a piano player. Right. Mm. Or Pat being a Well, okay, guys, we're past that stage now. Just <laughs> me and you. What instrument do you want to play or would you want to play with your first gig back on the, first gig back on the bandstand? You know, what's, your, what's your preference, you know? And as you know, the answers were quite, un, quite good. You know? And, and uh, I think one of the reasons they answered these questions is that they, asked a, they were asking a person who understood the question. I knew what I was asking them. Hmm. Hmm. 
And because they knew, I knew what I was asking, I got a pretty straightforward answer and a, and, and a, a complete answer. Not, gee, man, I don't know. Next. <laughs> right. I think what's so compelling about this, too, is it's actually, it's, it's universal for all musicians right now. Like, we're all going through it, whether you're Pat Metheny or you're playing in the cocktail lounge down at the hotel. You've been out of work for 15 months. You haven't been performing in the way that you're used to, a lot of us, since we're children, you know? So it's, uh, it's while we're getting these great and interesting answers, it's, it's, it's a very, like, universal feeling. about. We talk about it all the time, yeah. Peter, between us. Yeah. You know? One of the things that was difficult for me was uh, not making decisions for 15 months. Mm. Now, as a band leader, you decide everything. You decide everything from the size of the marquee Mm. to the, the size of the band, to the, the length of the solos, to who takes the solo, to what key we're playing in, to the order, to what the topic, all that stuff is all on you. And for 15 months or more, I haven't had to worry about anything but taking the garbage out on time. And the grocery store open. Yeah. And, and the laundry. I and mean, that's pretty simple <laughs> given, the, given the responsibility that leaders, in my mind, I have to be on a constant basis. When you go to Europe, man, you got to worry about the plane, the hotel reservation. You know, the, the pickup, the, the, the tech guy, man, the, the hall sound, the, the, the advertising, all those things on your shoulders. Right now, I just worry about the new paper. Is the paper here yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what's on the menu at the restaurant? Yeah. That's all I worry yeah, yeah. And it's really unusual to have that freedom of mind and not know what to do with it. Mm. So I found things to do with this project and you guys on, on your desk. You know, I've written a couple of books. I'm teaching 10 students and... Uh, I'm learning, how, I'm learning how to practice, although I'm practicing more every day. I practiced like 10 minutes more yesterday than the day before. Mm. You know, so I'm, I'm working it out. But uh, those questions I ask those people who I've been able to reach so far are the kind of questions that no one has put to them, that they, res- they respond to an answer to a guy who knows what the question is. Mm. Well, I got to cross out. I was going to ask you, uh, you were talking about good questions. I was going to ask you what was apparently a dumb question that you just answered, which is how do you stay a virtuoso like you for so long? But you just said you kept practicing and you're practicing 10 minutes more per day. So I guess that's probably the answer, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I got some little luck in long that I toss a coin and I said, <laughs> okay, heads, 10 minutes more, t- tails tomorrow. Okay, so right now it's time to be willing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I, I can speak for everybody when we're very appreciative of the work you've put in, especially uh, for chartography. And yes. again, we'll link to this. We'll also link to uh, Ron Carter's YouTube channel so you can see these interviews for yourself, folks. Yeah, because I just want to say, like, if you, you know, you folks that find Adam and I mildly amusing talking about <laughs> great bass lines. It seems That's ridiculous. how this really came don't, about. Because you remember... Peter, don't frame it like that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, I mean, to actually hear the person who's a master talking about the bass lines, this is way better. And that's how I was able to get Mr. Carter, as you remember, when we talked to Kabbalah. I said, look, we're talking about the bass lines. Let's have the... Let's, that's just the... That's not even the appetizer. You know, let's talk about the real thing. <laughs> it's the amuse-bouche. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to meet you guys live, and that, that site that you had is really an impressive one. Uh, and and I just thought I wanted to do two things. I help you uh, from one of the examples you used, how it got there, mm. and that you know that some people other than bass players understand how important the bass line is and what it does. Mm. You know, uh, I, I play with Lenny White as often as I can. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I'll do a, a solo piece when I'm with him, and during the solo, I'll play four or five notes of a certain bass line that he cracks up because he knows what song that belongs to, mm. you know. And, and that's kind of our in, in, internal game we play. 
And it's interesting how many bass lines that the jazz community don't realize mean that here comes a melody because the bass player played this order of notes. Mm. And it's nice that you guys would understand that and make a whole program, whole program, and make an issue of these lines that are so important to the melody that's up and coming based on this specific bass line. Right. You guys. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. But it is so cool, too. That's why we were a little, like, you know, that episode was was for it wasn't really for bass players because we were afraid to go that you know far over so when we heard from you it was like oh my god now we <laughs> like we thought we were going to hear from some of these punk bass players out here they're like why didn't you choose this why yeah. did you choose this and i was like mr rock Hart? okay well let, let's let's think about this um one thing i just wanted to, to throw out there too that i thought was super cool about and again i mean it, it's both because i'm so connected with the music that you've played forever, but especially during that period um, that this Autumn Leaves transcription actually coincidentally covers. I mean, just so much impact on me. And I, I would just say that like our generation coming up fully understands this is, this is probably some of the most influential rhythm section playing of all time. But now with the younger musicians, they know about it, but they don't really know about it. And and I feel like that's partly you know our fault and our our generation we got to keep talking about and exposing because i think there's an assumption sometimes like oh all this stuff's on the internet but a lot of young folks are lost there's so much stuff like i had the advantage my dad had my funny valent that was one of like five miles davis records he had so i was like when i got into jazz i'm like oh i'll check this out then i'm like whoa and there wasn't a lot of other places to get lost online but you know some of the things like with the color coding about alternative harmony and stuff i'll just say alternate harmony that this stuff is such a game change this is stuff the that rhythms we, like re reoccurring rhythms yeah i mean this is yeah, stuff yeah. that we would think about and feel but to see that laid out especially for like visual learners can really be a game changer and then you can scan the qr code and it takes you to a youtube video of the recording with the transcription yeah. so you could see it all right there well again we'll link to uh the book itself here and, yeah. and everybody should pick it up whether you're a bass player or not i mean this is for pianists, drummers, horn players, whatever, I think. And look at the size of this bad boy. This is like an orchestra. <laughs> this is like the score, man. This is making a statement. You're going to need a pro uh, uh, Weber music stand <laughs> for that right. thing, a conductor stand. That's the score, man. Yeah, yeah that's right. You said, what's, the, what's the score? That's the score. <laughs> that's the score. <laughs> oh, that's that, the, yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Carter, thank you so much for taking the time. And I, oh, I just... Man. You know, it's 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 a pleasure and an honor, and and um, truly, you know, thank you for everything, and you know, so inspired by the work that you're doing, the teaching, the playing, and can't wait to see you live again, mm. uh, which we hope is around thank the corner. You. And okay, well, if you got another topic at some point you want some conversation to, and you think I might be around, I might know some of those guys you talk about. Send me an email, okay, and see what's possible that we can kind of, I can share something that the record has offered that may have gotten by you or make a, a different connection to that issue, and uh, we'll see how far we can get this bad boy to dance. That sounds, sounds great. Good. I am actually emailing you now. Is this too soon to be <laughs> following up? I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I'm sitting down, so I'm fine. <laughs> play it cool, man. Play it cool. Peter. Oh, sorry, I gotta play, play it cool. cool. I gotta on, play bud. it cool. All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, links to everything we discussed are below, as always. And until next time, you'll hear it. Thank you, guys. I just realized this is the first time we've ever actually recorded, recorded, yeah, not streaming live. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we lost. <laughs> Peter, we've lost Ron Carter. <laughs> We had him. We, we had him. We had him for a second on the show, and now he's gone for. Okay, I think we're ready. If <laughs> you're ready, on. <laughs> there he is. I think he's he's more than ready. So. We could tell the people. We could say the exciting part was before we even start, we put Ron to sleep. Yeah, before we even started. Yeah. <laughs>